telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. Stop right there. Nathaniel, it's just us. Yes, and that traitor there, Jeremiah. He was instrumental in the success of the Reckoning. Yes, but under her possession, and not actions unto himself. In fact, I distinctly remember you creeping around the night acquiring people and bringing them to her doorstep. My past actions are detestable. I acted under her promise of my family's return to my side. I now know this was a lie. I only want revenge. It was her actions that led to my family's murder. She will get hers. What do you think, friend? Should we put aside his indiscretions for the sake of taking her down? They are right. We can deal with him later. As with me and my sins, the more assistance we have, the better. A warning though, her promises have a way of turning the most righteous person. Very well. You may assist us, Nathaniel. No more secrets. None. Let's take her down. This looks to be the last door that we are yet to explore. Let's go. Pest Control. Written by Stephen Paulson. Narrated by James Barnett. Fireballs light up the night sky. Yahoo 7 News. Monday, December 10, 2012. A fiery green meteor lit up Melbourne's sky around 10.55 last night, triggering a rash of calls to emergency services and media outlets. Eyewitnesses report seeing a brilliant emerald fireball blaze across the night sky and explode in a starburst above the Dandenong Ranges east of the city. Fragments are said to have come down over the nearby hills. Dr. Joseph D'Souza, Senior Curator of Geosciences at Museum Victoria, is keen to hear from anyone who witnessed a meteorite impact. It's quite rare for extraterrestrial fragments to fall to Earth. Only one in a thousand fireballs actually drop meteorites. If we can find and study these pieces of alien matter, they might help us better understand the origins of our solar system, and perhaps even the universe. Trouble started when the moths arrived. They appeared about a week ago, fluttering out of the pantry in alarm when I opened the door. The house is on a bush block in the foothills of the Dandenongs, so I'm used to sharing it with all sorts of bugs. It's not uncommon for me to see ants trooping across my kitchen wall, slaters in the bathroom, and spiders dangling from the ceiling on gossamer threads. So at first I didn't pay the moths much attention, 
It wasn't until they started to flit across my line of sight when I was watching TV and flap around my bed lamp when I was reading at night that I began to realise I had a problem. But even then I had no idea they heralded danger beyond my comprehension. It was the discovery of their pale maggot-like lava partying in a packet of sugar that drove me to action. I threw the sugar into the trash and went on a mini rampage, swatting every moth that made the mistake of landing within my reach. I even managed to snatch a few of the critters out of the air as they fluttered about. They were small grey-brown things that virtually turned to dust in my clenched fist. But I knew my assault wasn't enough to get rid of them. So I googled the problem. A seemingly authoritative website advised me to throw away all packaged food. Remove everything else from the cupboard and wash both the products and shelves thoroughly with a vinegar solution. Place environmentally friendly supermarket purchased moth traps on the shelves. Simple. So I tossed every single packet of flour, rice, cereal, pasta, sugar, biscuits, nuts and dried fruit into the garbage. There must have been $200 worth of otherwise good food. Then I spent another two hours cleaning everything else and setting the traps. It all seemed to be going reasonably well, except that every so often I caught a whiff of something unpleasant. Particularly around the lower shelf, like something turning rotten. But when I looked for the source of the odour, the groceries smelled okay and the cupboard appeared blemish free. I had trouble getting to sleep that night. I heard a rhythmic gnawing sound strike up shortly after I went to bed, and it put my nerves on edge. I tossed and turned for ages. I kept telling myself to relax, and there was nothing to worry about. But the feeling wouldn't go away. The sound wouldn't stop. And sleep continued to elude me. Eventually, I got out of bed and headed downstairs to the kitchen to get a glass of milk. I could hear the peculiar gnawing sound all the way down, but it stopped suddenly when I switched on the kitchen light. I wondered if it might have been coming from outside, so I opened the door and went out onto the porch, but the night was quiet and still. I went back inside and forgot about the noise, because I could suddenly smell a putrid odour in the kitchen. My questing nose led me back to the pantry, but when I got down on my knees I couldn't see anything amiss. I would have to wash everything with a bleach solution in the morning, I decided. I made my way back upstairs to bed. The rhythmic gnawing sound started again as soon as my head hit the pillow, and I began to wonder if the noise was in my head. Something to do with blood pressure or perhaps some form of tinnitus. Whatever it was, it continued to keep me awake most of the night, relentlessly grinding and rasping. When I got up in the morning, irritable and bleary-eyed, I made my way back down to the kitchen. Thankfully the odour seemed to have gone, so I switched on the kettle and went back to check the pantry. When I opened the door, I was astonished to find first one, then another, then another, all of the moth traps, choked with dead and dying moths. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. Impossible. There simply could not have been that many moths in my whole house. There they were, in front of my eyes, covering the sticky inner surfaces of the traps in a thick, dusty, grey-brown carpet. I got down on my hands and knees to examine the bottom shelf and did a double take. There was a knot of tiny lava in the corner, 
crawling and wriggling over each other in a pale, writhing mass, gnawing at the edges of a coin-sized hole in the right-hand bottom corner of the shelf. But even as I watched in stunned fascination, the caterpillars suddenly began to abandon their efforts and disappear into the hole, as if to escape my gaze. I got down close, gagging as I caught a cloying whiff of something putrid and tried to peer into the hole. I couldn't see anything, but I could hear something. Something familiar. It was the same gnawing sound that had kept me awake in the night, but now it was coming from the gap in the corner of my pantry. It sounded slightly different, like it was echoing in some vast, empty space, but it was the same sound. What's more, I got the bizarre impression there was something alive in the hole. More than an impression, I knew there was something there. Something much, much larger than a rat or possum that one might expect to find nesting in a wall cavity. Something vast. I could sense a pale, pulsing thing gnawing relentlessly in immense darkness beyond the tiny opening. Then I felt the thing perceive me. Felt it pause its ravenous gnawing and slowly turn to leer in my direction. As its gaze found me, the room began to spin. I clutched at the pantry door to steady myself, but it made no difference. It was worse than being paralytically drunk. Everything that should have been stationary and solid was suddenly gyroscoping around me in a dizzying blur of broken, swirling images. My head was pounding. The putrid smell of the cupboard rose up and hit me in the face like a piece of maggoty roadkill. I fell to my knees, gagging on bitter bile. Then the floor seemed to shift beneath me as though a trapdoor had been released, and I was falling falling end over end, somersaulting into a black void. I found myself flying through space in a sort of lucid dream. The dizziness and nausea left me as suddenly as they had struck. There was a shrill whistling in my ears and I was soaring past planets, stars and primordial gas clouds toward the outer reaches of the cosmos. There, in the otherwise emptiness of deep space, I came upon a cold uninviting planet. Little more than a lump of bleak grey stone bathed in a sickly green light. I fell into orbit around the planet and observed vast wintry deserts of black crystalline sands. I glided over churning oceans of thick dark ooze and soared over forests of crawling grey fungus. Then I heard the familiar loathsome gnawing sound emanating from the very core of the desolate globe. I knew straight away it was the pale, bloated, worm-like thing gnawing at the core of this dead world. What's more, I could sense things about the world gnawing creature. Uncomfortable alien things I did not want to know. I became aware of its callous disdain and of its terrible, ravenous hunger. Worst of all, it was a two-way street, and it now knew about me, and through me about our world, our universe. I was the conduit. The roadmap, the opener of the way, and it was coming. A pantry moth flew into my face and the connection broke. I pulled back with a jerk and crouched, stunned on the kitchen floor. I looked back into the pantry, but all I could see were a few horrible little larvae, still nibbling at the edge of the hole, miniature parodies of the world-gnawing thing I had... What? Daydreamed? Fantasized? But I had seen it, felt it, it had seen me. Was I going crazy? 
Could that rank odour be some sort of gas? Have some sort of hallucinogenic effect? Did I have a tumour pressing on my brain? My rational mind told me the monstrous alien creature could not be real. That there must be some explanation. But my gut reaction was to flee because I could still feel its hideous hunger. Its burning desire to cross over into our world. It was coming. And it made me feel insignificant and vulnerable. After some deep breathing, a cup of strong sweet tea, and a good dose of self-therapy, I managed to bring my mind back to the here and now, to the practical problem at hand. I decided the best thing to do was to stick to my original strategy and get rid of the moths and caterpillars. They still seemed to be the link between our world and the creature gnawing at the heart of the cold, dark planet of my vision. I went down to the shops and came home with a bag full of insect spray and naphthalene moth repellent. First, I emptied an entire can of surface insect spray into the bottom shelf of the pantry, taking care to soak the area around the hole in the back corner of the cupboard. Then I followed that with another entire can of flying insect killer for good measure. The fumes from the insect sprays were so strong my eyes stung, and I began to feel lightheaded, but I wasn't ready to stop. I finished the job by pouring two large packets of naphthalene on the pantry shelf, piling the pungent flakes into a heap so they completely covered the hole in the corner. Take that, you little pests, I thought. But later that day when I went to check my handiwork, I found the kitchen inundated with a cloying stench that made me feel sick. Not the eye-watering smell of insect spray and naphthalene, but the horrible rotting putrescence that was the mark of the worm. I rushed to the pantry cupboard and flung open the doors. Inside, the naphthalene flakes had all but gone. The few crumbs that were left were being devoured by pale wriggling caterpillars that squirmed back into the hole when the kitchen light poured in. I had doused them with poison and covered them with repellent, but instead of killing them, I'd simply fed the little buggers. Even worse, the hole itself was bigger, the size of a tennis ball as if the naphthalene had energised the larvae, increasing their strength and appetite, as though they'd been fed steroids. Didn't make sense. With the amount of chemicals I'd poured in, I should have killed every flying, crawling and wriggling creature within Kui. I got back down on my hands and knees to try and see into the hole. I dared whatever I had previously seen, or imagined I had seen, to move again, to prove that it was there, that it was real. But the harder I looked, the more I saw nothing. Just a deep inky blackness. Then the blackness shifted. The curvature changed till the light refracted differently. And I realised I was staring not into space, but into an enormous eye. An alien eye that was pressed against the other side of the hole to better see into our world. Looking into my kitchen, watching me. I lunged for the utensil drawer and grabbed the first implement that came to hand. I'd hoped for a bread knife or metal skewer, but instead I came up with a wooden spoon. It would have to do, I decided, and thrust it handle first into the hole, into the watching eye. There was a brief moment of resistance, then it gave way and the offending eyeball burst with a squidgy pop. The creature screamed. The wooden spoon was jerked out of my hand. 
thick yellow slime splashed onto my hand and I yelped. It burned. It was like acid, like scalding steam. I jumped, swearing and leapt to the kitchen sink where I thrust my hand under the cold tap. The water washed the remaining slime off and soothed the pain temporarily. But when I took my hand out from the water, it burned anew. What the hell was it? I had no idea, but I knew one thing. It was not the enormous worm-like thing I had seen gnawing at the core of the far-flung dead world. It was far too small, minuscule in comparison. So perhaps it was some sort of spawn? Maybe one of its parasites? Who knew? But whatever it was, it foreshadowed the coming of the Eater of Worlds, proved the way was opening. After that, I stopped trying to explain what was happening with everyday logic. I knew the hideous truth for what it was. Knew that the hole in the pantry somehow led to another universe, or another dimension, or whatever. A cold, dark place inhabited by a fetid behemoth and its spawn, parasites and vermin. Worst of all, I knew that the gargantuan world-gnawing worm had invited itself for dinner and it planned to arrive on planet Earth through my kitchen cupboard. Funnily enough, with this realisation came the knowledge that I held the fate not only of mankind, but the very fabric of our universe in my hands. Me, of all people. I guess I could have called for help, but who would have believed me? Hello, police. There's an alien monster trying to come through a hole in my kitchen cupboard. They would have locked me up. Probably in a straitjacket. Shit. I hardly believe what's happening myself. Which is why I'm furiously typing this blog entry on my laptop, while I sit waiting on a kitchen chair in front of the pantry. Thank God for wireless internet. It means I can get the message out while I wait for my nose to detect the stench of putrid decay. Or for my ears to hear the appalling gnawing sound heralding the opening of the gate. I have a jerry can full of petrol, a box of kerosene-impregnated firelighters, toxic sprays of various formulas, and an assortment of tools and kitchen implements including a sledgehammer and meat cleaver. Even the old 22 rifle I kept hidden in the rafters. I just hope it's enough. Wish me luck, dear reader, for if I fail, not only will the blasphemous world-gnawing worm come through, but I suspect a whole other universe or dimension will spill through with it. Man Believed Dead in Fire Leader Free Press Wednesday, December 19, 2012 Police believe that Belgrave man Mr Jonathan Shapiro perished when his hillside house mysteriously burned to the ground during the early hours of Monday morning. Captain Richard Weeks from the Country Fire Authority said the fire was so intense that by the time the CFA crews arrived, the only thing they could do was stop the blaze spreading to the neighbouring houses. Firemen on the scene reported smelling fumes and noticed an unusual green tinge to the flames. Police are treating the fire as suspicious and have asked anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers.
You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Pest Control was written by Stephen Polson, a speculative fiction writer and non-fiction writer and editor from Australia. For more from Stephen, head over to stephenpolson.com. This episode was narrated by James Barnett. James is a writer, narrator, editor, podcast producer, and reluctant transport manager. For more work from James, head to jamesbarnettcreative.com or connect with him on Twitter or Instagram at Jimmy Horrors. Jeremiah Dawn was performed by James, not Jack. For more, head to strangefigment.com. Nathaniel was performed by Brian Jeans. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. Please support us by leaving a review and a five-star rating as it helps us reach more people. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.